Uh, welcome back to Change Cultivators as we continue to explore the space of rapid disruption and organizational change. And we're delighted for the conversation we are about to have with Vince Thompson, who I will introduce in one second. I am Patrick Fitzmaurice, CEO and head farmer at a change activation firm called Caterpillar Farm, where we help organizations adapt to change. And I'm delighted to have this conversation with Vince with my co-host, Rosin Boyd. Rosin, say hello. Hi to our listeners, I'm Rosen Boy and I'm a reputation management and change specialist and looking forward to this discussion with Vince this morning. Welcome Vince. Vince, let me give our listeners a quick tee up to you. So Vince is a, a, an exciting guy for us to have on the podcast. He's an award-winning founder and chairman of probably the largest sports marketing agency in the U.S. called Melt. Uh, he also parlays that into a stellar internship program that he does every year called Melt University. He also has a book coming out called Build the Brand of You or something similar to that. But you know, he's been named Chief Marketer Magazine's 2020 Top Agencies. He's been in sports business journals, power players. So Vince is really connected into the event and the sports marketing and the, frankly the music and the entertainment and the culinary entries, industries and we're excited to explore all of those with you Vince. So hello to you sir. Thank you Patrick. It's, uh, it's so nice to see you again and, uh, and, and hear your voice and uh, I miss you and I hope we, uh, we get some, uh, some FaceTime sometime down the road and, and Roz if you're in the uh, reputation management business I may need to uh, I may need some help from you at some point. I'm not far. I'm not far. <laughs> so Vince, I know our topic is change and what we seek to bring to our listeners is a lot of nuggets and tidbits on how great leaders like yourself have coped with change. And, and I know you have a way of kind of just framing that up for you. So um, maybe share with our listeners as a kickoff how you kind of think about the topic of organizational and corporate change. Well, yeah, like I told you, um, you know, I live by the credo change is inevitable uh, growth is optional, choose wisely. I'm not sure who came up with that quote, but, uh, and then um, in one of my previous professional lives, I was around a lot, the famous sports medicine doctor, Dr. Jim Andrews. And, and he said, if you're not, uh, if you're not growing, you're dying. And if you're next to ripe, uh, you're almost rotten. So stay green. And um, so I constantly, um, you know, challenged myself and my team and others around me to, uh, to really sort of uh, embrace change, and obviously we're all living in a time now, whether you embrace it or not, we're in a, we're in a, a uh, I use the word seismic, we're in a period of forced change. Uh, but, you know, I, I try to take the silver linings out of, uh, uh, out of everything if I can. I love it. And, you know, the, the world of sports marketing, which you are such a renowned expert in and the work you've done with lots of clients, but particularly the world of Coca-Cola over 20 plus years to kind of really see the change that's happened in the sports and the sports marketing industry. As you kind of look at that space, what stands out for you as something that, you know, had to be a big pivot for somebody and how you helped your clients deal with those things? Well, in, in you know, it, it People may or may not understand at the end of the end of the end of the day, the, the primary drivers of revenue in sports are the major corporations. Without sponsors, uh, there is no ad dollars to fund the major right fees. And so um, you are seeing in a macro perspective, um, sponsors beginning to question, you know, uh, what the true value is, particularly in a fanless experience. And then they're like, well, maybe we should be redirecting those dollars uh, because obviously all of those are framed up in terms of reach and target. Um, you know, I, even ideas that I may have brought in six months ago, uh, say in the areas of esports or other, 
or other types of sports, you know, I would have gotten laughed out of the office. And now they're like, hey, maybe bring some of these things back to us. And so even in major corporate America where, you know, you know, compare it to steering a speedboat versus a battleship, there I'm seeing more nimbleness. I'm seeing more uh, openness, um, you know, as well. And then, you know, you've got a whole host of issues uh, that are still unsolved, unresolved today. But, I mean, you know, fans may never come back in toto uh, to major sporting events. I believe that they will but they're going to be questioning their safety. They're going to be questioning their time. They're going to be questioning the, can they afford it? Um, you know, can I go buy a thousand dollar television and have basically the same experience that I would have for a one-off uh, at a game. And then I think you're going to see some creativity um, in the in-home and I call it home gating uh, environment. Uh, so you're going to, you, you were, you were already seeing a major shift in the sports and entertainment landscape and now it's accelerated. And I want to circle back cause you, you, you said this, you know, big corporations have to move from being, you know, the speedboat to kind of battleship and then to be able to do that. And it's probably not a bigger sports metaphor for that than the Olympics, right? Which we just missed, like just, just didn't happen. And, and, Corporate sponsorship of that is huge money. Um, they do it for all of the right reasons. They get global rights to that along the way. They have to break that down. They have to figure out how they commercialize that to get the most value out of it. And that just disappeared this year for people. Um, how are you seeing people kind of taking managerial decisions to repivot their funding, maybe repivot the, the way they think about program development around such a iconic and large um, promotional space as Olympics or NASCAR or NCAA or, you know, choose what you want from above. It's a huge shift in how they think, how they spend money, how they build platform programs. Well, you know, it's a fa it's fascinating because if you break it down for the major, you know, media companies that are paying for those rights, and then within those rights are backed by obviously giant um, advertiser commitments. There's only, you look at sports in totality, and, they, you know, in the end of the day, there's really only a handful of ways to drive revenue. Television rights, advertising rights, uh, ticketing rights, and slash hospitality around that. And so um, there is a massive rethinking um, among all of those strategies. That <clears throat> the other interesting fact, Patrick, about major corporations is typically, you know, they'll spend months and years in planning cycles and those have been not only disruptive they've been they've been completely just imploded and we're really not sure if the olympics will be held in 2021 so there's contingency planning on that and then here's the other thing you got to think about too these athletes are in a training cadence where they're trying to peak right at that moment in 2020 when the olympics were occurring what happens in another year. So, so put that in context of the Coca-Cola choosing their um, Coca-Cola family of athletes, six pack of athletes, the ones who were relevant for 2020 Olympics may not even be relevant in 2021. What if they get hurt? What if they get COVID? I mean, it's, it is, a, it is fascinating. Uh, and then, you know, all of these major organizations are taking their own revenue hit by this revenue not coming in right now. And so those organizations and how they're structured and how they will look won't even look the same as well. And I mean, you can click it off NFL, NBA, MLB, uh, Olympics, college football, 
golf is the only thing that I've seen stick a little bit and NASCAR stick a little bit because it was, it was, you were watching more of an individual sport than you are a team sport. So the individual sports have tended to do a little better. Uh, and the golf audience, although it skews older, their viewing experience really has been enhanced because of the way the broadcast and cable networks have pivoted of how they've covered it. So um, I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this breaks down in the future. Is it a good time or a bad time to be in the sports marketing agency business? Sorry, Roz, just real quick, you know, because it presents such challenges of you as one of the, the large leaders of a sports marketing agency. How do you, like, what are you telling your team and how are you kind of getting your client, your clients to pivot? Because you've got to manage this within the world of, well, wait a minute, I get, I'm assuming some of your client billable hours are going away. So you're leading an organization through really tumultuous times. And in, as you said, almost every industry you touch is facing these challenges. It was brutal. It, I mean, it is still is brutal. I mean, we woke up, I'll never forget this. I uh, had taken my son away on a birthday trip and we landed on March the 11th. And then by, um, by March 13th, um, you know, the world started spinning on an axis. We were, I mean, we were heading into our busiest season, uh, producing our 18th final four for Coca-Cola and every sports in the spring plays every music festival, every food festival with the exception of NFL and college football. And so we really lost tens of millions in revenue literally in a week. Now I will tell you, I have been monitoring some things that were going on uh, with the virus back in January. I'm a a vociferous reader and my gut said, you know, Hey, let's put a little dry powder back. Let's tap the brakes on some of our expansion uh, and, and, and be thinking if this thing were, you know, really were to, to, to hit as hard as it did. And so, um, in the spirit of silver linings, I, you know, I said, okay, there's some things that I've been wanting to do with the agency, but when you're, you know, when you're on this giant hamster wheel and you're running this big old company and you, you want to try to do some things that may or may not have sent a, a negative signal to the industry. And so when this hit, I said, okay, let's go ahead and do some things that we needed to do. And I think you'll see a lot of companies that are doing some things with their organizations. The second thing is I said, we've got to completely rethink uh, our core business model because we're in the event business. We do a thousand events a year and now we're doing zero events a year. So right now, what is it going to take to get virtual events done, um, enhance in-home viewing experience? And then um, I've had this amazing intern program for many, many years based on um, based on my experience of working my way through Auburn University as a sports publicist. So we had 40 kids coming in. And I, you know, Patrick, you've addressed it. I've always wanted to take it virtual. And I said, I can't let these kids down now. I said, let's open it up. And uh, we wound up this summer having 1,200 kids in it, uh, over 50 podcasts. And then now it's, uh, and then I, you know, now we've evolved it, you know, year round and we're going to do masterclass videos. And I've got a book coming out called Bill Brand New, which is based on my lectures that the campus is the ultimate professional lab. Because let me explain something to you about the job market and marketing services is it, it's a nuclear winner because uh, entry-level job was hard enough. Kids spending $200,000 to get a liberal arts degree. And now they're going to be competing with other professionals in marketing services who have been furloughed or laid off. And those people would be willing to accept, accept entry-level jobs at a lower wage so it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be brutal and it's going to be a massive shakeout. But the fascinating thing is this next generation of marketers 
are so sophisticated that if I can give them the right tools to build their brand, they can claw their way into some, into some, into some jobs. But, uh, um, you know, and, and we looked at it as a silver lining. I mean, the, the, our competitors with major public companies are going to have a hell of a lot more pain than I am because I control my decisions. Some of our smaller, weaker competitors will go out. And so if we can get the, um, if we can get the right mix of, 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 of business and services, um, you know, we already have crazy ideas. You know, I'm looking, I was looking at silver linings. I'd always wanted to write my book. I just didn't have time. And, uh, had not been off the hamster wheel for 40 years. And so uh, there's been some, there've been some positives. Uh, now we need this thing to go away sometime soon. Uh, but I, you know, I think that the landscape in my industry is going to be just littered with casualties and, you know, in chaos, there's opportunity. Yeah. And I think the, the, the world of sports an interesting one. We had a, uh, uh, Mahul Kapadia on with us in a previous podcast who led uh, the Formula One business for many years um, and he was talking about you know live entertainment and, and audience engagement and all that sort of thing which is a whole interesting discussion um, but I wanted to uh, go back to the sponsorship uh, angle with you because we are seeing audiences wanting more purpose-led branding now you know so I've been saying for a long time the space of sponsorship is going to change because you know just tagging on a brand to a sport you know that purpose-led discussion and engagement is it needs to be more and more important and I think at the intersection now of the the world changing and the lack of physical audiences in a room don't you think it's a, a very exciting time actually because you've got more access to digital now you've got more access or when I say access people are more engaged with digital now because they can't get to events and so that audience engagement although it's going down physically in terms of stadiums and stands it's going up from a digital perspective so the world of sponsorship is going to change so much in terms of the type of sponsorship you know and I think you guys are in such a an interesting place because if you pivot quickly and start leading that new wave of sponsorship, it could be, you know, a very, very lucrative uh, area to lead. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm, I, I mean, I've spent, uh, you can, you can ask my staff, I mean, what's worse than Vince not having any time, Vince having too much time. I mean, I'm constantly, I've got 18 hours a day. I'm uh, you're just completely just, you know, uh, bombing them with uh, information and articles, but, Let's unpack two or three things there, Roz. <clears throat> you, you bring up the term purpose-led. And, you know, one thing I want to say is that, you know, is that I want to I challenge the industry and all of us to truly, really understand what does purpose-led actually mean? Because one of my pet peeves is that, you know, everybody can talk a good talk, but what are they, what is the outcome of that? What are they actually... What is what is what is the outcome of purpose-led branding mean? Because you know it's easy to to you know put up a banner or say these types of things, but but what are we really actually doing to make a true impact? Um, you know, I've I've raised another family for twenty years, from illiteracy to giantly successful careers. Uh, I've been in, involved with student athletes for forty years. I understand their plights. Uh, I'm toying around with some major ideas to develop curriculums 
uh, for HBCU schools and things of that nature to truly fill the, 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 the talent pipeline with diverse talent as well. So, you know, my question is, okay, that's fine to say purpose-led, but what does that actually mean in action and what does that actually mean in outcome? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that's, that's, one, that's one major thing that I always love to, you know, because I get asked all the time, I get asked all the time, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you know, hell, I do this every waking hour. I'm trying to help yeah, people, whether yeah. it's kids or, or, or you know, uh, people in distress situations or, you know, boards and all this type of stuff. So, so attach outcomes, attach, <clears throat> attach action and outcomes to that. The second thing is, is that in my business, um, there's never been a more exciting time because particularly in colleges, because the student athletes are now really actually recognizing that they are the product, that they are the content, and they've been generating billions of dollars for other people. And so they're beginning to take control of their narrative and their product and their image. And, you know, Congress and, and everybody's getting involved in this. But the exciting thing about it is, is, is that the, the particularly student athletes who are the most sophisticated consumer in the world, those student athletes are migrating into being uh, professionals, whether they're business people or athletes. They have the tools, they're digital natives, they understand they've got that platform, and now they understand that the content and the product and what strategies we're working on is how do we sort of invert the equation that we've been working with these major corporations all these years and then go to the, the, the talent and the athletes and the student athletes and say, okay, let's build your platforms out, let's build your following out, and then let's figure out how to help you merge that sophistication with major corporations desire to reach that holy grail of targeted consumers, which is male and females 18 to 29. So that's where I'm focusing a massive strategy around. And, and again, that was one thing with my Melt University. A, it's a labor of love because I love to help these kids. I think they get great education within the walls. They're just not getting adequately prepared for the jobs outside the walls. And then secondly, we're going to build this platform out where we can take that platform to corporate America and say, you may not be able to sample on campus, but you can virtually sample um, with, you know, 10,000 of these, you know, targeted marketers and things. And so I, you know, like I said, six months ago, I get laughed out of corporate boardrooms all the time with crazy ideas. And now they're like, Hey, maybe bring that, bring back. that crazy guy uh, back. <laughs> and he's crazy. Yeah, ideas. Bring it back. And, and the thing is, is that you just can't all, you can never be afraid to challenge uh, convention, yeah. uh, because I mean, you know, everybody says, what business are you really in? And I say, I'm in the rejection business. Mm -hmm. I get told 99 times a day, but you know, so what? And that's the thing that I love to, uh, to teach these kids about, uh, as well. I I'll tell you, I've never been more recharged, you know, in my, in my life. Patrick will tell you, I'm a pretty excitable guy, but, uh, um, I mean, hell, I'm, ha I'm, I'm sort of unbridled now, which is kind of scary and liberal. Watch out world, right? I think I, yeah. um, we. I think Patrick was it. Alan Hoskin who said the big disrupt. The biggest disruptions are invisible, which which goes to what what Vince is saying. And the reason I brought up sponsorship and this purpose led branding is because we have got a generation coming up that cares about the brands that they're using. You know, you talk about these individuals being their own brands now. You know, why is that? They know they can take more control. They, you know, they right. they're not going to just be told what to do by corporate and in the sponsorship arena, and this is why I, I sort of dug down there a little bit, is brands no longer can just say, okay, we give to a community over here, you know, and that's 0.3% of, of, of their marketing budget because 
with the internet and with with digital now right. people can really get into what a brand is doing and it's this generation coming up and that that links to what you're saying about the change you're seeing in sports personalities as i say um Mahul, who spoke to us about Formula One, was talking about the younger guys in the sport, you know, really driving the e-gaming side of things. So, you know, so they are already ahead of COVID and, and the change in the industry. Oh, yeah. And I want to ask you a question. Patrick touched on the fact that you've had Coca-Cola for 20 years and, you know, we're speaking about all these changes in the business. How have you taken your team and the client along all these changes? You know, what have you found worked? Because I'm sure you're constantly pivoting. And, you know, from a client point of view, you know, do you stick with an, you know, I, when I had agencies, I would always repitch the business every two years because I wanted fresh thinking in the team. And I found if you kept an agency on longer for the, more than two years, the team can get a little bit complacent. So you having to manage internally with your staff to keep them, you know, change activators and fresh, but you also on the on the, the client side having to manage it. How do you take these various audiences along this constant path of change you, you find the business in? Well, you know, it's um, we've been very blessed to I mean, it, it's it maybe a world record, but to represent uh, for an agency our size to represent the Coca-Cola company for over two decades is, you know, is amazing. But <clears throat> I've always had one axiom uh, about that in any relationship is that you can never take any relationship for granted. And so uh, whether it's personal, friendship, romantic, professional, agency, client, uh, every day you've got to be cultivating that relationship. Um, you know, giving it sunlight, fertilizing it, pruning it, you know, uh, cultivating it. Uh, and so um, I preach that to my to my staff. Second thing is is there's an old football saying that says you you need to play like you're a touchdown or seven points now. Never take that relationship for granted. Third, um, I always encourage my teams um, to push and take risk and big ideas. Uh, and then, um, you know, when you have giant clients like Coca-Cola and Athlac and IHG and some of these guys, um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, uh, Roz, I started my, my business in my home in 2000 with a newborn and uh, I just clawed and grind and clawed and grinded and, and grinded all the way through it. And so I still continue to take that approach because it's been a fascin fascinating metamorphosis. I went from the guy every you know, well, you know, who is this guy and who is Mel to all of a sudden, you know, here's the guy everybody wants to knock off. And um, so, but, but, but that's kind of, it's kind of cool and kind of flattering because that's what I had always worked to get to that point. So I'm constantly, we keep a, I try to keep a, a quality, not a quantity of clients because that allows us to deliver more quality. I'm constantly challenging my staff uh, and I will be honest with you too. The 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 another strategy of Melt U is a recruiting strategy for my core Melt business to keep fresh talent coming in and out of the agency because um, they're they're they 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 know more than I do. They have fresh eyes. They uh, they they are colleagues of the brand managers coming at Coca Cola or Affleck and some of those things. And so and we only hire uh, from that Melt U talent pool. So we've already basically 
groomed and evaluated them for eight to 10 to 12 weeks because you just really can't tell anything about a job interview now. I mean, anybody can get, you know, be glib and get through a first date and get to that point. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, the most expensive hire you make is the wrong hire. So, so it all, it, 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 I run it like the, the, uh, like the New England Patriots. It's all about constant cultivation of talent, identifying the right talent, securing the right talent, and then bringing that talent into your organization and, 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 and uh, signing them up for the process. And our organization and culture is so tight now that the, the, it'll spit uh, the, the wrong apple out really, really quick. Now, one challenge of running a virtual environment, everybody goes, oh, this is the greatest thing ever, and this and that. But in our business, it operates on energy, and it operates on you running up and down the halls and pitching and spitballing and, 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 and keeping people motivated 8, 10, 12 hours a day. And, and I found that is, you know, it's, it's hard because it ebbs and flows. You know, you're trying to monitor somebody on a, on a Zoom call. You can't look them in the eye and that kind of stuff. And then a lot of people have handled this, um, you know, loneliness or, you know, being in, you know, by themselves differently. Some people love it. I love to be by myself. Some people thrive in the office environment and going to lunch and having a beer, you know, downstairs in the bar after, after a day's work. So, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting if we ever get back into the office, you know, when you go on vacation, you have vacation brain, but, but if we've been out six to 12 months, what the hell are we going to do with COVID brain? Like, right. Just how long is it going to take? I mean, I had a pair of britches on since March. So I'm like, I don't even know if I want to put britches on again. So, Luckily your camera's uh, only from the waist up. That's the right, right. <laughs> So it, I mean, it's, 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 it's fascinating, but you know, the thing I tell everybody is I'm like, it's not like we lost a major account. It's like the entire world is in the same rowboat. Yeah. Right. And so, so, we're all kind of going through this, you know, retooling, um, you know, together. And then, and, 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 and I'm studying extensively. I have a son, sophomore at the university of Georgia, but the, uh, one of the other strategies of melt you is that kids, you know, they're, they, they may not, they may, they may, they may reject paying $200,000 to get a virtual online degree. They may say, you know, I'd rather learn how to produce an event for $10,000 through melt or something like that. So, I'm examining business opportunities that I never thought I could go and compete with, you know, the major universities and those types of things as well. So um, I just, I think this is going to, um, this COVID, you know, um, is going to, it's going to have a massive generational impact and we may not know um, the results of that five, 10, 20 years. And, you know, everybody talks about, you know, the snowflake generation and, you know, everybody gets a participation trophy. But I'm telling you, these kids have, have, have you know, wittingly or unwittingly been thrown into the tumble cycle. Mm. And um, I think it's actually, if, if nobody loses their life or a loved one to this stuff, I think long term, it's, it's, um, it's going to be it's going to be a better thing, because I was already frustrated with this, you know, this generation, because they job hop, they want to be CEO overnight. And <clears throat> I'm an old school guy, and it just makes me insane. I, I, I love that. And I want to dig into a little bit more. I have a couple of topics that I'm mapping out here, but the next one I wanted to dig back into is, is really Vince, the entrepreneur, right? I mean, because at the core, that's what, what I've known you as. Um, it's certainly even recognized for, I think it was you know, 2018, you were one of Atlanta's most admired CEOs in the marketplace. You know, you've certainly been recognized. So at a core, you're the type of entrepreneur who is not the 
quote unquote operational operator. Give me a stat static business and I will kind of run that. You're always looking for these opportunities, right? It was there one thing in your, in your bringing up in your schooling that kind of said, you know, this is a thing that connected to me that clicked to make me always be sniffing out opportunity, always being able to kind of be more agile, being ready to kind of go on a pivot. Cause there's many entrepreneurs who just can't do that. They can get one thing right, but you've been able to kind of pivot and adapt. And I, I think there's some nuggets in there that are probably seeds of wisdom that you have from, from how you've navigated your career, or at least maybe it wasn't even thoughtful navigation. It was just kind of pivoted your career through all of that as you've adapted the business. Well, there were, there were two or three things. One is that, you know, when you don't, I mean, I grew up in an amazing, you know, environment, but when you really come from nothing, you don't really have a fear of risk because, because I'm like, I'm like, well, I, I started with nothing. So what do I really have to lose? And so I, I, I had a high tolerance of tolerance of risk. <clears throat> I secondly, I was, you know, my dad, um, had a he was the mayor but he had a grocery store he was a merchant but he lost it when i went to school um because he made different uh different types of mistakes and things of that nature i said i'll be damned if that's going to happen and i wanted to you know kind of you know honor him and then and then secondly when i got to auburn university coming out of a town of 800 um it was the largest um place i'd ever been auburn and I immediately recognized there was a kind of a caste system there, like the haves and the have nots. And, and I'm like, well, all right, I'm a have not, but I'm going to outwork the hell out of everybody. And so, um, <clears throat> cause I figured real quick, I'm like, Hey, if I outwork them and outsmart them, um, that's going to get me down the, down the path. So that was kind of the first aha. And then the third thing is when I got my first big boy job in Birmingham with a sport, sports agency and it was successful. And I'm like, I'm, I, I, hell, I'm smarter than these guys. My ideas are better, but I'm only getting a fraction of the dollar. So that's really where the bug really got kind of got lit. But I knew I kind of, you know, at the time, there's no internet. You got to pay your dues. You got to do apprenticeships and things of that nature. Um, but I think that the main thing is, is that, you know, being an entrepreneur is being defined as having a high tolerance of risk. Uh, you got to be a riverboat gambler. You got to always know those dice may roll up on snake eyes or sevens or like that, but you, you didn't, but, but, but I, I say I've got the memory of a, of a dice player because the, you know, the, the, the dice have no memory. So the next roll uh, could, could be the one that, that, that rolls up or, or we call it a, a pitcher's memory. Um, you give uh, you, you throw a home run pitch, but that next pitch has nothing to do with the fact you just gave up a home run. So I think the, I think the environment we're all in now, is going to reward uh, the giant uh, risk takers because like everybody's like, what do I really have to lose because will we be in business if this thing is around in another 12 months? Awesome. That's awesome. Roz, I've got a couple of lightning round ones that I'm jotting down, but I wanted to let you make sure we snuck in on a couple of things I know you wanted to dig in on. As you say, it's a wonderful time. You know, you can either, and I think this separates, you know, entrepreneurs from, from you know, people who like to be in the insecure jobs because, the industry and the world is going to change you know i mean we're never ever going to go back to how we we were and i think businesses that are sitting waiting to go back to normal 
um, you know, are just not going to succeed because they're not thinking far ahead enough. And I love the fact that you say, you know, I, I laughed when you said, I don't know if my team likes a busy Vince or Vince with time, but we've chatted to, you know, CEOs and leaders who have spoken about the importance of carving out time to think about the future of their business, not just running the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, and, you know, as a leader right now, the pressure's on you because people are looking to you to maintain their salaries. You know, what are we going to do next? You know, what is your advice before we dive into this? What is your advice to other entrepreneurs? Because it must be a very um, nerve wracking time. I'm sure you have moments where you go, what the hell does the future hold? But then you have moments when you're so energized going, listen, I have an opportunity to carve a niche and lead. Um, so, you know, from a a leadership perspective, you must go through quite a few, you know, emotions in the day with this pressure on your shoulders right now. Every hour. Every hour. So what is your advice to other entrepreneurs and even CEOs and leaders? Because I think every, you know, everyone that's driving the ship is in this boat right now, you know, and you've, you've, you've got to keep your spirits up. You've got to keep the revenue coming in and you've got to keep the business model um, looking around the corner right now. I'm the poster child for change and crisis and failure and all that. So I have a massive amount of faith. Um, the second thing is, is that um, I try to keep my team and my clients focused on worrying about today's problems because worrying about, but you know, people can deal with good certainty, bad certainty, but not uncertainty. It makes them crazy. But you know, uh, you cannot worry about what's around the corner because today has enough problems of its own. And particularly with we all in this gigantic unknown. So uh, compartmentalize your, your, your worry or your haste, excuse me, or whatever that was. The third thing we did was I, the, I mean, literally the first week I wrote um, a small white paper that said, okay, what does melt do really, really well? And what do we have really well as assets? We have a great team, we have great reputation, great Rolodex, great resources, great execution, great ideas, the ability to articulate uh, ideas in a great business presentation and platform. I said, so let's take our strengths and then I want you to open your mind up and think about things that we've always wanted to do with our organization that we weren't able to do because we were all in that daily, daily hamster wheel and sort of just you know, decompress, take a few days, push your mind out there, I said, you know, hey, physically, we're, we're, we're good for quite a while. We're going to have to make um, some tough decisions. But some of them, I, I'm at, transparency was a big one in this because I said, hey, you know, these are some of the things that I'd been wanting to do and couldn't do. Here's where we are financially and physically. But just be thinking about, um, be thinking about, uh, you know, what we've always wanted to do with our organization and where our strengths and assets are and where we can shore up our liabilities. And then the second thing I said is that we're not backing down from our, from our, uh, uh, our intern program. I said, for several reasons, these kids were reaching out all over the country, begging me not to. Um, and so I said, I can't let the kids down. And I said, secondly, if we pivot this right, this allows us to stay publicly positively forward facing in the industry that we're doing something great for the next generation of, of marketers in the, in the period of, of greatest upheaval in the world. Cause you forget we had COVID and we had this giant social unrest. I said, so this will allow us to thread a very positive needle in the industry and it's the right thing. And we didn't manufacture it because we've been doing it for 15 years. And so 
Um, as, a, as a purpose-led brand. Correct. Yeah. By the way, walk the walk or talk the talk, right? So it wasn't a stretch. We said, oh, my God, we're going to wake up and do something you know, positive for the industry. And then um, it was fascinating because I said, and then as part of that strategy, I'm going to call everybody I know, the president of Coca-Cola, the president of NASCAR, the, the, the commissioner of the SEC, the president of the PGA, and I'm going to ask them in the middle of all this turmoil uh, to give me 30 minutes of your time so you can share some great positive words of wisdom. And I can count on one hand out of 100 requests that I made that, that, that people told me, no, they wouldn't do it. So people, have, so people have been amazed that I was able to secure these, these great guests on my podcast, but um, it was also a, a, a tip of the hat to, to my existing clients or prospects or organizations I wanted to do with. So it really was a, 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 a polite stalking horse into getting these people on the phone. The same week all hell was breaking loose with NASCAR and college football, I had the president of NASCAR and the commissioner of the SEC on my podcast. And people were like, how in the world did you get those people? I said, because in the middle of all this upheaval, they want to they wanna do something good for kids and they want to do something nice and talk about some positive things. And so um, I had that strategy in my head. It took me a little, interestingly, it took me a little longer to get my staff up to speed on my strategy. And, and then I, then I finally, and then I say, well, then if you don't do it, I'm going to go find me some young whippersnappers who'll understand it fast. And so that kind of got them motivated, you know, into that. But, uh, but I had a business strategy behind what I was doing. I, I say goodwill is good business. And so um, that was sort of, uh, that was sort of the, 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 the pivot there, but it was through our core business because I said, Hey, you can run I mean, with the president of Coca-Cola, you know, on this thing. And, and I mean, they got, you know, they're in 220 company countries and they're working virtually all over the world. And they don't know when they're going back into the building and things like that. So we've gotten millions of dollars in, in positive press and PR in that. And so, um, and like I said, I'm going to use that as a platform to help develop curriculums for college kids and, and historically black colleges and universities and things of that nature it's allowed me permission to have other conversations that I had always been wanting to have. And, and it strikes me as I listen to you say that again, Vincent, it kind of clicked to me. It's, you know, you use the word strategy. Uh, I would elevate that up. You just, there, there's, there's a conceptual vision there of how all of this fits together, right? And, and how it serves an authentic good, right? Like it's not, it's not just about profit. It's not just about driving right. the event marketing business. There's a, there's a vision. And, and, and I think it's what's kind of been one of the keys to your success as I observe it is this kind of integrated vision that, you know, all the parts are serving some authentic, deeply rooted good right. um, that I think is a takeaway that our listeners can get, right? Find that thing, right? There was a, there's a graphic that gets passed around LinkedIn sometimes that, you know, is overlapping circles and it's, you know, find something you're good at, find something you can make money at, find something that, you know, people will pay you for, find something that you have a passion around. It's those intersections that's, a, right. that's where you are. When I hear you talk like that, uh, it, it sounds like you found that spot. Yeah, I uh, probably unwittingly, because um, you know I don't, you, you know me well enough, Patrick. No, I'm, I don't really have a left brain. I'm not really trained in, in traditional business. I went to school to be a writer um, and a journalist and a sports writer. But I've just always been sort of. Uh, there's a little bit of Forrest Gump in me. I've really always just been sort of governed by serendipity. I've been governed by trying to do the right thing, and I've been governed by putting myself out there. Uh, and there's, you know, if you put all of that positive energy in the universe. 
there's always going to be some good things that happen. And, uh, and that's kind of the, I mean, it literally is, I mean, it's like the box of chocolates and picking up, you don't really know which one you're going to get. Um, it's fascinating. And like I said, I'm having more fun now because there's so many things that I had always been wanting to do. I never intended to build a giant business. And then I never intended to be a CEO and I never intended um, to, you know, to really, uh, to, to do that. I just, I love creativity. I love ideas. I love relationship. I love risk. I love pushing people's way of thinking. Um, and so this has been good for me because, you know, I had gotten on that hamster wheel and when you're on this giant hamster wheel, it's hard to get off. And this COVID just, you know, just, it was, it was like the, uh, the, the old record player, the record needle, the rapper scratching like, ee! I mean, it did it for everybody. And so, um, uh, so I, it's going to be fascinating to see who, uh, survives and, and, uh, and, 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 and thrives, but I, I do, I see massive business opportunities in every person and every young, young student and every, you know, every athlete and every student athlete looking at themselves as a brand. So unwittingly, I think we may be onto some really, really good things just based on what we've done with the program, what the book has done. Uh, universities are reaching out, football coaches are reaching out saying, Hey, I'm a football coach. I need to learn about branding. I mean, I never thought I would hear that from a, from a grizzly old football coach or, or something like that. And then help all of these kids monetize, you know, uh, their, 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 their platforms. And then, and then find new ways to, you know, to grow our core business through that because there were areas we were weak on. And I'm like, well, I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about how I shore that up. I know what our strengths are. That's fine. We're always going to be there. But where can we shore that weakness up that will complement our strengths and then, you know, round out and be a, a positive upside from a business strategy and a, and a profit perspective um, as well? I love it. So I, I do want to shift to your book as uh, kind of my final question and maybe give you a chance to lay down one or two quick, quick hit lightning nuggets, you know, uh, Bill brand you, um, you know, so you have our audience in front of you who are all kind of swimming around and how do I change and how do I deal with disruption over the next couple of years? Any one or two tidbits from build brand you that would be kind of say, you know, just this, this, and this, and, you know, short little, little sound bites that you think are important for the type of audience that we have here. Well, I mean, this is this book is not just for 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 college students. It's 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 a challenge to step back and identify who and what you are as a brand. Build a brand lens. Build a brand vision. I don't care if you're 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, because the the landscape is horizontal now. It's 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 not vertical, and so you can be anybody you want to be now. And then secondly, after you get that brand identity begin assembling the social profile against what that identity is. And, 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 and LinkedIn um, is my preferred method of doing it. I have, I've got 20,000 followers on LinkedIn and 7,000 on Melt. Um, it allows us to control our narrative. It allows me to control my narrative. And so you can, con you can build and control your narrative, but step away from yourself and go, okay, who am I as a brand? And then how do I position that? in the marketplace um, as well. So, I mean, we're all, in the, we're all in the brand business. We work with major brands across the country. Why wouldn't we treat ourselves as our own brand? And so I think that's the major, that's the major takeaway is that people go, well, I never have really thought of it that way. So who does, what does Patrick stand for as a brand? What are those principles? What are those visions? What do you espouse? What have you 
built your professional career and path leading up into this moment? And then how do you package and assemble that and position it and spread it out in the marketplace? And again, um, we've got this amazing tool called LinkedIn where you can be any brand you want to be now. So that's to me is there's some fundamental, there's fundamental things in the book, but, 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 but Patrick, you would be professionals at the lack of the quality of the resume and how they position themselves on LinkedIn. I mean, you know, they're like, all right, well, I'm going to put it in word and I'm going to, I'm going to say, okay, here's what I did. And I'm like, no, 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 no. you got to paint a brand story. What's the outcome? What are results? What did you produce? How are you going to bring value to this organization? How are you going to, uh, how are you going to get my attention on LinkedIn through messaging or something like that? I mean, so uh, my challenge to every one of your listeners is to step back, look at yourself as your own brand, analyze that, uh, build a brand lens, filter, platform, vision, destination, where you want to go and completely repackage yourself now that you have time to do that. I love it. I love it. Great, great advice. So uh, before I let Ross close this out and say, give her thanks, Vince, thanks so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. I know you're busy. I know there's a lot of things going on in your world. I know you're kind of grappling with big business opportunities, um, but I am sure that our listeners are going to have taken a ton of notes and follow-ups from this call. So thank you on, on behalf of us. Ros, if you want to close out and share any of your, your final thoughts and thanks as well. You're speaking your music to my ears, Vince. My, my consultancy is called Currency, and our ethos is your brand is your strongest currency, and everybody is a brand. So I just love it. It's been fantastic speaking to you, and I look forward to, to following your progress in this frightening but very exciting journey. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's always an honor that anybody would, would ask me to come on programs this way. I, it, it, it's like this. It's just always it's always flattering. Um, to be able to to be with my dear friends and, and colleagues and, and share and inspire because um, we've truly I mean it's cliche but we really are all in this together and and um, and then we're going to get to the other side of this and and and, and we're going to have these bonds that are going to be forged forever but you know my my theory is if we could just reach one person and inspire them then we did a, we've done a good day's work so uh, I love that that currency your brand is your currency. Uh, and I think that um, I think we're all out there just you know pushing towards the same objective. So I, I really appreciate you guys giving me uh, the time and the forum and the platform today. Thanks so much, Vince. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. That was awesome.